Alrighty. Um, we are in a series called Supernatural, and uh, the first message in the series is called The Pathway to Power, and I actually started this uh, last week in the early service, and uh, some of you um, may not have been in the early service last week, so you're going to hear some of this for the first time, but I want to review what I went over last week very quickly. Let's read the scripture text for this message. It is in the book of Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you um, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not For you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power, supernatural ability, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witness as a result of receiving this power. You will witness. You will witness to me, which means of me, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had thus spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Let me remind you that the book of Acts is a, is a book that records a tremendous story of success. It is the story of a triumphant church. The book of Acts is really a story about a small group of unlettered, uncultured people with meager resources, very little money, no prestige, no pedigree, no colleges, no seminaries, no radio or television, no magnificent buildings. The book of Acts is about a small group of uh, people who went around under the power of the Holy Spirit telling the story of a publicly executed Jew who three days later rose from the dead. They faced great obstacles. They faced the imperial might of Rome. They faced the intellectual sophistication of Greece. And they faced the religious bigotry that permeated all of society in that day. And yet, under the supernatural anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, they turned their world inside out and upside down for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This infant church did so much with so little, and as I think about that, it reminds me that it seems today we do so little, yet we have so much. It's important for us to look back at how they did it, what they did in the book of Acts, because it is the story of a church on fire with evangelism. And when a church is on fire with evangelism, souls will be brought into the kingdom. And when souls are brought into the kingdom, there will be tremendous growth in that church. We're going to be speaking to you for the next few weeks about how this early church in the book of Acts uh, will teach us, it will show us how we can get plugged into the supernatural. Now, when you talk about the supernatural, you certainly are talking about God and you're talking about all things holy and pure and righteous. 
But when you talk about the supernatural, there's also a dark world that is a part of the supernatural. And we'll discuss that in this teaching. In this series, I want to show you a pathway to power, and we're going to look at Acts 1 and 1. We know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke also wrote, of course, the Gospel of Luke, which is the third uh, book in the New Testament. And he speaks of the book of Luke in Acts 1 and 1. He says, the former account. That's what he's talking about when he says, the former account I made. He's talking about, he's now writing the book of Acts, referring to the book of Luke. O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both be, uh, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So the book of Acts tells us what happened in those primitive years of the church. The book of Acts is here to teach us a pattern that we should live by here at Whitley Church and at the bridge, even today, as individuals, the book of Acts is a pattern for our lifestyle. I would especially encourage you to read the book of Acts chapter 2, and hope you won't do it now, but Acts 2, 41 through 47. That is a synopsis of a healthy church right there. It's a, it's a great passage to study. I'm going to be giving you three truths, three vital truths that I believe if you will get hold of these, you'll live victoriously. I don't know about you, but I'm always interested as a Christian in learning how to live more victoriously, aren't you? So I'm going to give you three principles I think will help you with that. I think it'll help you to have power with God and influence with men. And we know from our leadership teaching series that God wants us to have leadership and influence with men. Truth number one, we talked about this a little bit last week. If we want to get on a pathway to supernatural power in our individual lives, one of the very first things we have to do is we have to recognize the presence of Jesus in our life. And I know when you first hear that, that doesn't sound profound. It sounds like something we may have heard in Sunday school or a kid's church. Okay, little children, Jesus his presence is with you every day, and you need to realize that he's with you. And so I know this is very simple, but I want to tell you, if you get hold of this, it'll be one of the most vital, dynamic, electrifying, earth-shaking truths that you can ever walk out. Because here's how we are. We learn truths, but we don't walk in those truths. And this morning, I want to encourage you to say, I'm not going to just hear this message today. Because it's not my pastor's message. My pastor is the delivery boy, but the message today is from the Lord. God would say to us that Jesus isn't finished. That's what Acts 1 and 1 means. Acts 1 and 1, here's what Luke is saying. He's saying, when I wrote the book of Luke, I was telling you what Jesus began to do and began to teach. He said, in the book of Acts, I want to tell you what he continues to do and continues to teach. Can I say to you this morning, Jesus is still doing and he is still teaching. You say, but pastor, I thought you said he went up to heaven. How in the world can Jesus still be doing things of the earth if he went up to heaven? Here's how. When Jesus walked this earth in the book of Luke, he had a physical body. But today, he has ascended and sent the Holy Spirit that he might live in us by the Holy Spirit. And now he does his will in this world through a mystical body called the body of Christ. And boys and girls, that is us. We are his body. 
We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, if you'll look in the front of your Bible, you'll see where it says the Acts of the Apostles, maybe at the top of the page, on the first page of the book of Acts in your Bible. But the, that, that title, the Acts of the Apostles, really was not put there by the Holy Spirit. It was put there by the publisher of your Bible, whoever published the Bible that you own. And I want to tell you that the book of Acts is not really the Acts of the Apostles, And some of you may be surprised to hear me when I tell you that neither is it the acts of the Holy Spirit. If you think about it through and through, it is the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ because he said what I began when I was on the earth to do, I'm going to now give you the Holy Spirit so that you will continue what I began on the earth. So the book of Acts is the acts of Jesus. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to get. When I talk about realizing the presence of Jesus in your life, I want you to understand that Jesus, God, doesn't want you to do anything for him. He wants to do something through you. He wants to do something through you. He said it in Colossians 1.27. It is Christ in us which is the hope of glory. It is not you. It is not me. It is Christ in us who is the hope of glory. We sing it often here at the church. He's alive and he lives in me. I remember when I was a young pastor teacher, it was a great day of joy when I found out the Lord didn't need me to do anything for him. I got to tell you, when I graduated from college, as a matter of fact, I almost quit Bible college so I could go into the ministry full time because I thought the world just needed me. I mean, I was pretty sure I was the next Billy Graham. And I knew the world just needed me, and God reminded me, son, I don't need you. You need me. And you're not going to do anything for me, son. You just make yourself available, and I'll do what I want to do through you. i got to tell you this morning, I'm still learning that. I still try to take things into my own hands and do things my own way, but God reminds me, that the Christian life is really not difficult. It's impossible. How encouraging is that for you on this Sunday morning? The Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. Nobody can live the Christian life. Nobody on this stage, nobody in that choir, as talented as these musicians are, none of them. One of our deacon board members was up here. There isn't a man on the deacon board. There isn't a pastor. Chuck Swindoll, Dr. David Jeremiah, Billy Graham, my great heroes, these men, it is impossible for any of them to live the Christian life. It is absolutely impossible to live the Christian life. It's not just difficult. It's impossible. Yet at the same time, God says, I want you to live the Christian life. You might say, now I'm frustrated, Pastor. I don't know what in the world's going on. You tell me I can't live it, and then you tell me God told me to live it. You see, it's Jesus in you. Remember what Paul said. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Can I tell you that every Christian is going to experience three miracles in their life. 
every Christian is going to experience three miracles. Now, the first miracle is on the day you accepted Christ as your Savior. And there are a lot of words for that, uh, when you got saved, when you were born again. How many of you remember when you found Jesus and he came into your heart? Actually, you didn't find him. He found you. He, he had been sweeping and looking, just like that woman in the Bible who lost her coin. Uh, you know what the Bible says she did? The Bible says she swept the dirt and shined the candle and swept the dirt and shined the candle until she found that lost coin. And so I want to I wanna just get you to remember this morning when you found Jesus, when Jesus found you, when you accepted Christ into your heart as your personal Savior, can I tell you that was a miracle that day. And it tells me that our Christian walk began, commences with a miracle, and that is the salvation from Christ. So the very first thing that you ever encountered when you became a Christian was a miracle. The miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of the washing away of your sin by the blood of Jesus. And, and, and this miracle is our salvation from Christ. And then let me talk to you about the third miracle, the last one. And that is that your Christian life not only commences with a miracle, but it concludes with a miracle. We've already talked about it. And that is our translation to Christ. We're going to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be with Jesus. If you this morning are a Christian, if you have received Christ as your personal Savior, hear me now. It is no fairy tale. You are going to be with Jesus. Isn't that exciting? As we celebrate Jesus coming to us, now we think about we are going to be with him and go and be where he is. He said, I will return again that you may Come where I am. Isn't that a, a great thought this morning? So your Christian life commences with a miracle. Salvation from Christ. It's going to conclude with a miracle. Translation to Christ. But what about that one in the middle, number two? Here's what your Christian life, and that deals with the now. You know, I love God for the sweet by and by. And I thank him for the sweet by and by. But I want to know how to live in the nasty now and now, don't you? And I want to tell you something. Not only does your life, Christian life commence with a miracle and conclude with a miracle, it continues even right now in a miracle. You're, you're experiencing a miracle now, and here's what it is. It is the realization of Christ. We get salvation from Christ, and in the end, we're going to be translated to Christ, but right now, here's what we need is a realization of Christ in our life every day, 24-7, 365 a year. He is with us. Here's what I'm calling on you to do this morning. I'm calling on you to realize, recognize, be aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. There is never a time you are without him. If you have received him as your personal savior, you're never alone. God with us. May that simple truth do more than be something you say amen to or that's right, pastor. May it be something that sinks in so that no matter how dark the valley or how low the valley, no matter how deep the criticism and no matter how much Satan wars against you, you know you are never alone. He said in his word, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Well, actually, when you study that, in the, study that in the original Greek language, it says, I will never, never, never leave you. It is a, it is a word that is repetitive in the Greek language. Not I will never leave you. I will never, never, never leave you. 
Now listen, heard about this lady. She was an elderly lady and she was on her porch one day and the pastor rode by and he saw her and he dropped in and they were talking about this thing that Jesus will never leave you. And he had gotten his master's degree and was working on his doctorate in religion and pastoral ministries. And she said, you know, it's right there in the Bible, pastor, he'll never leave us. He said, did you know that in the Greek, he says he'll never, never, never leave you? She said, he might have to say it three for you Greek fellers, but one time's enough for me. Amen. 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 Listen to what Paul said. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Listen, listen. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is not you. Hear me today. God doesn't want you to do anything for him. You can't do anything for him. He wants to do something through you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, and that's where you're living right now. You're living a life in the flesh. He said, I don't live it anymore in confidence of self, but he said, I live it now by faith in who? The son of the living God, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. There was a preacher in Kentucky who used to keep an old glove on his desk in his office. And each Sunday before he'd go out to preach, he'd take that glove and he would just slip it over his hand. And when he pulled that glove over his hand, he would just flex it two or three times. And one of his ushers had watched him do that for years. And finally got up the courage. He said, Pastor, he said, what in the world is that? He said, you've been in our church for many years and I've watched you pull that glove over your hand and, and, and work your hand in that glove on, on Sunday morning right before you go out to preach. He said, what is that? He said, I do that to remind myself that this glove is like me. It is absolutely impotent and powerless. It can do nothing until my hand is inside of it. He said, and then I say, oh God, as my hand is in this glove, I want you, Lord Jesus, to become activated inside of me. I want to have an awareness, Jesus, that you are in my life and I can do nothing without you, but with you in me, I can do all things through you who strengthens me. Can I tell you a little Old Testament story? Y'all remember the story of Gideon? Gideon, how many of you heard the story of Gideon? Let me tell you something. They ought to make a movie out of that book. You think David and Goliath something, read about Gideon over there in Judges. I've got a little series I do on Gideon, and um, I'll probably do that again here before too long. But in Judges 3 and 4, I'm sorry, in Judges 6, 34, the Bible says, Gideon, let, let me just tell you a little bit how I picture Gideon. I picture Gideon kind of like Barney Fife, you know. I mean, I just think he's a little old frail fella. And uh, the Bible says that an angel came and said, oh, mighty man of valor. You ought to read it. It's really funny in the Bible. And it's almost like when God said, oh, mighty man of valor through this angel, Gideon went, you know, <laughs> I don't see a mighty man of valor anywhere. But see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God chooses those things that the world would discard and he uses those things that the world would discard because when he uses those things, people who do not believe say there must be a God in heaven. 
Every time my old high school buddies see me and find out I'm a pastor, they know there's a God in heaven. But the Bible says in 634 exactly how Gideon was able to do this. Even though he was a Barney Fife. The Bible says the Spirit came. There's your answer. The Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came. That same Holy Spirit that came in the book of Acts chapter 2. The Spirit came and it inspired Gideon with extraordinary. That means beyond the natural, supernatural wisdom. Do you know God will give you supernatural wisdom? Do you know there's a wisdom that comes from books and experience? But then there's a wisdom that only you can get from heaven. You know, I know folks that have got so many degrees They look like a thermometer. I mean, man, they're just so smart and they've graduated. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that wisdom I'm talking about, you can't get it in a college. You can't get it reading a book. You can get it reading one book. So he says the spirit came on Gideon, inspiring Gideon, Gideon with extraordinary wisdom. Not just wisdom, but courage. And not just courage, but zeal. And it was to vindicate God's honor. And his country's liberty. But in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Here's what the Hebrew says. Listen, listen. It says, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Clothed him as a robe. To put honor upon him. Clothed him as a coat of mail. To put a defense upon him. Now when you read that, it sounds like it means that the Holy Spirit was the clothes. But when you really dig into that, you'll discover that it meant the Holy Spirit put Gideon on like clothes. Gideon was like this coat. This coat this morning was laying in the back seat of my car doing nothing, just laying there. It couldn't serve. It couldn't go to church. It couldn't do anything. I believe when I put it on, I did hear it say, please don't button me. You might, <laughs> you might hurt me. But when I put this coat on, it went to church. When I put this coat on, it reached out to people in love. When I put this coat on, it praised. I can't do any of that. I've got it on now. It's preaching. See, it's not the coat. It's me in the coat. I'm the coat. It's not me. It's Jesus in me. It's Jesus in you. How would you like for God to just wear you? I mean, how would you like for God to just put you on like a robe and just wear you? I know some of y'all are out there thinking he wears me out sometimes. (laughs) But I mean just wear you like a garment. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that a good thought? You say, well, I'm just not adequate. You ever not feel adequate? You ever feel like you're not adequate? You say, I'm just not adequate, pastor. You know what? I am so glad you said that because you're right. I'm trying to encourage you this morning. You're not adequate, but the Lord in you is able to do all things by his strength. Listen, listen. One man wrote, Lord, I can't. You never said I could, but you can, and you always said you would. Let me tell you the greatest ability of a Christian, availability. Just be available. Just say, Lord. Here I am. I don't know what you can use here, but God, whatever you can use, I'm available. Take me. Use me for your glory and honor. You see, this mission he's given us is impossible. I mean, think about it. As one of God's adopted children, you and I are automatically called to bring the entire world to Jesus. 
Brian, that's your job. That's my job. Ricky, that's your job. We're to bring the entire world to Jesus. Well, that's a mission impossible. That is a mission impossible. But here's the deal. This command from God to reach the world with the good news of Christ is not ultimately our responsibility. It is our response to God's ability. See, you respond to God's ability. It isn't you. I heard about these two cows out in the middle of the field, and they were standing there chewing on some grass, and a milk truck came by. And on the outside of that milk truck, it said, our milk is grade A sanitized, pasteurized, homogenized, vitamin enriched, and it comes from contented cows. One cow looked at the other cow and said, makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? I feel like that old cow sometimes when I think about what God's called me to do. When I think about what God has called Whitley Church to do and the bridge to do in this community, i got to tell you all something. I feel very, very inadequate. But then I remember Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Not upon this rock, Farrell will build my church or Whitley will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. You see, it isn't me. I can't do anything for God. It's God working through me. Luke says, I wrote the book of Luke to tell you what Jesus began to do. Now I'm writing the book of Acts and that's what Jesus is going to continue to do. Not through a physical body this time, but through a mystical body called the body of Christ. Look what it says later as we bring this message to a close. Acts 5 and 12. The King James Version says, and by the hands of the apostles, but a better translation is, and through. Listen, listen, look at this. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And then the result of that is in Acts 5, 14, when he said, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. People were accepting Christ. Listen, listen. When God begins to work through us, his will, men and women you never dreamed would come to Christ will come to Christ. How would you like it if Jesus just worked through your hands and spoke through your lips and thought through your brain and loved people through your heart. If you've accepted him as your savior, then Jesus Christ now has your body for his body. When you accepted Jesus Christ, now he has your body for his body. Here's the whole problem. We're trying why do we fail? Why do we fail? Why do we fall? Why do we stumble? Knowing all this, why do we still stumble and fall? And can I tell you, I stumble and fall. Can I tell you that recently I have stumbled and I have fallen because I put my hands on things and I tried to handle things in my own way. Because I'm trying, I'm trying. God wants Pharaoh Hardison to stop trying. God wants you to stop trying. Listen, listen. He wants us to start trusting and stop trying. Now, y'all know me. Those of you who know me, you know I don't play golf. I'm not a golfer. Last time I played golf, some men ran to where I was because they thought I was killing snakes. But let's say some of the fellas around here who really love golf just got to talking to me and saying, Pastor, man, golf would just be good for you. And golf, and that's not true, by the way. It isn't good for you. I leave golf more tense than I was when I got there. Mark Johnson told me 
a story one time about him playing golf. He said, Pastor, I played golf one day, and when I got through, all my clubs were up in a tree. And I said, Mark, did you get mad? He said, no, I swung at a ball and the club came out of my hand and got hung up in the tree. And he said, I took all my other clubs and tried to get it down. Then they were all up in the tree. So I said, you're a man I can relate to, brother. But let's say these fellows witnessed to me about golf and, said, and, then, and they converted me. And I said, I want to be a golfer. I believe they've converted me. I, I'm going to really take up golf and learn how to be a golfer. So I say, well, who's my model? Who, who am I going to look at as my model? So I pick Tiger Woods. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, does it? And so I study all his books and read all his books, and I learn all I can. And I go out on the golf course, and I say, I'm going to play like Tiger Woods today. How many of you know that's not going to happen? <laughs> it ain't going to happen. But if there was some way I could get Tiger Woods inside of me, that may sound foolish, but if there was a way I could take a Tiger Woods pill and have Tiger Woods inside of me, and I could walk up there and hit that ball straight down the fairway 300 yards, but it wouldn't be me, would it? It would be Tiger Woods inside of me. It's Jesus in you. You can't do anything for God. It's Jesus in you. Would you stand? And would you bow your head and would you close your eyes for a moment? Would you just bow your head, please, and just close your eyes? Let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you a question on this Sunday before Christmas. Is he in you? Is he in you? Is Jesus in you? Well, preacher, I know about Jesus and I know things about him. And I tell you, Pastor, I really honor Jesus and I really respect him. And when I'm really in trouble, I'll open the Bible, even read some of his words, and they encourage me. I didn't ask you that. Listen, Jesus doesn't want you to tip your hat to him. Jesus doesn't want to tip your hat to him. He wants you to embrace him. He wants you to put your arms around him and say, Jesus, I need you. Some of you, your marriage is in a mess because you're trying to fix everything yourself or maybe you've even given up on it. Some of you, your finances are in trouble and you're trying to fix everything yourself. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me today, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your turmoil. I will forgive your sin. I will rescue you from hell. If you'll come to me, drop your pride today on this Sunday before Christmas, would you? Would you just lay your pride down and would you just say, Jesus, I need you and I'm not running from you anymore and I'm not going to offer any more excuses about hypocrites in the church and all that ridiculous stuff because it isn't those people who save me anyway, it's you. And so Jesus, I ask you, come in my heart on this Sunday before Christmas. Come into my heart and forgive me of all my sins. I want to give my life to you today, Jesus. Take my life. Take my life, Jesus. Cleanse me of my sin and come into my heart and sit on the throne of my life. Would you just say that to him right now, just in your own way? And can I ask you to do something for me this morning? No one looking around. 
Would you just raise your hand if you just did that and you asked Jesus in your life, would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? Just put it up and God bless you, God bless you. Everybody look at me. Listen to me. Stop trying so hard. Stop trying and start trusting. He doesn't want you to do anything for him. You can't. He wants to do something mighty through you. Your greatest ability as a Christian is your availability. Just be available. He'll do great things through you. Merry Christmas.